It is to turn him, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you brought a Bible with you, you're welcome to turn to Deuteronomy 18, where we're going to be this morning, and pull the sermon outline out from your bulletin as well. Well, I hope that, uh, as Tim mentioned, maybe you're following along with us as we go through this year of the Bible and and reading along portions of Scripture. Uh, You got your little insert in the bulletin that'll help you know what's coming up this week. If you ever miss a week or you lose that insert, you can also go on our website at gracesealbeach.org slash year of the Bible, and it has all the readings there as well. Well, it's been so fun to get to talk to some of you guys about how these readings are going and hearing everything from, oh, I'm already in Joshua. I'm I'm ahead of all of you guys to, I'm I'm still in Genesis, like 1.5. Like, I've got a long way to go. And I just wanted to reassure you guys that the goal is not to complete a certain number of chapters a week. The goal is for you to hear God and to spend time with God. And all of us have different sort of bandwidths of how much uh, we can take on because of life situations and intellectual capacity. So if you're behind, if I can put that in quotes, please don't beat yourself up. Like, I hope that you're delighting in spending time with God. He's delighting in spending time with you. Um, and if you're, if you're completing different books of the Bible, I hope you're participating in dropping a rock in the, in the barrel out there so we can celebrate together uh, the, the progress we're making as we go through the Bible. Well, um, I've heard from some of you that as you read through the Bible, that portions of it have been difficult to understand, and maybe even, if you're honest, that portions of it have been boring. Um, And if that's you, I'm with you, right? There are portions of it that I find boring. And I I don't say that to say it's uninspired or unhelpful. Please don't fire me. Uh, But there are portions of it, when I say boring, there are things I don't understand. There are things that don't make sense to me. There are things I'm confused about or feel like I, I don't need to know. Um, and when I come across those experiences, maybe when you come across those experiences, it's helpful to think of, God, why am I finding this boring? What, what's hard for me to grasp about this? Uh, here, as a quick way of a comparison, a few years ago, my wife really liked the show Downton Abbey. Now you guys watch, or as I call it, Downtown Abbey, uh, because I, I didn't watch it. And it had a ridiculous number of characters that all spoke with a British accent. And I would watch, I don't know, maybe once out of every six episodes, which was just enough to be utterly confused. So I'd come in from hockey or from a meeting here at church, and I'd say, who's that guy? 
And she'd quickly try to explain while the show's still going, well, why is he talking to her? I thought she was with him. Um, this is a soap opera. You know you're watching a soap opera, right? It's on PBS. It can't be a soap opera. Uh, now, when I, when I watch a Marvel movie and she pops in on half of it, she'd ask those same questions. Like, who's that? Well, why is it a different actor than last time? Well, there's a contract dispute. Or uh, <laughs> what, they're, they're looking for rocks? Why are they looking for rocks? Um, here's my point. In any sort of complex epic film or novel or series of books, we're going to expect to be confused if we don't know all the details. That's the same thing we could say about Lord of the Rings or War and Peace or any other great epic piece of literature. When we read the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised when there are parts that are confusing or difficult to understand. It's a complex book. But when we put ourselves in judgment, we say, it is boring, then we've made ourselves a judge over God's word. What I hope that we can do today in the sermon is we can take a little bit of a broad picture of the first five books of the Old Testament and look at how um, we see three of the major offices that mark the Old Testament, the role of the prophet, the role of the king or the national leader, and the role of the priest. And those are described in great detail um, in the first five books of the Old Testament. And I hope that as we look at how those things are fulfilled in Jesus, it'll give you some context as you read through the Old Testament as a whole to understand how prophets, priests, and kings point you to Jesus. And then to connect that a little more to your life, I hope that you'll see how the prophet, priest, and kingly role of Jesus help you uh, be at peace with God and how they help you to have purpose and mission in the world. So let's get into Deuteronomy 18 at how it points to uh, Moses being the prophet that points to the greater prophet of Jesus Christ. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verse 15. This is uh, what Moses tells the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. A prophet, uh, put generally, is someone who speaks God's word to people. Someone who speaks God's word to people. Often when we think of prophets, and we use that language sort of colloquially in our culture, we think about people who can predict the future. Um, what am I, a prophet? I don't know who's going to win or if the Lakers are going to make the playoffs. They're not. Um, but prophets, the, the major role of prophets in the Old Testament is to speak the truth of what God has revealed to people. And Moses has a unique role in Israel's history as the one who reveals so much of what God wants the people to know. Think about all the ways that Moses functioned as a prophet for Israel. He, he's the one who predicted that they would be able to leave Egypt and slavery through the Passover. He's the one who led them safely through the Red Sea because of God's word and God telling them to go into the water. He's the one who comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, reveals the core of their law to them. He's the one who gives them instructions for how to build the tabernacle, what worship God would require and desire from them. He's the one who reveals all of their civic code and their law to them. He's the one who tells them what the priesthood that God uh, expects is going to be like. And he's the one who tells them where to go and what, law, what land they're going to move into. Can you imagine the stress and anxiety that would come from losing that sort of leader? The one who is perfectly revealed in so many ways, at so many times, what God wants you to hear. Uh, that's what Deuteronomy as a book is about. How do we handle losing Moses? What does Moses want the people to hear and to know before he dies? Now, sometimes we feel stress and anxiety about losing certain leaders in our life. 
Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a religious leader, maybe it's a civic leader. And we say things like, how could anyone ever replace that person? How could anyone have the same sort of significance or uh, ability to speak into my life? And those losses are, are valid and valuable. I certainly understand that. But could you imagine the loss of losing Moses, the one who came down from Sinai and told you what God required of you? How do you replace that person, right? Um, we talk in pastoral ministry about the unrealistic expectations of clergy. Can you imagine the unrealistic expectations of the Moses succession team? <laughs> Must be able to go up on holy mountains and bring down laws. <laughs> Must be able to establish priesthoods. Must be able to practice miracles to deliver us from slavery, right? But Moses says the Lord will raise up someone new. A new leader, this isn't Moses' responsibility, this is God's responsibility, who is going to come from among the people and yet be sent from God. There's this tension, really we'd say this mystery that's not going to be understood until Christ comes, of how in some way this new leader will come from among the people and yet be sent from God. He will at one point be from fully from among the brothers and yet delivered directly from heaven. As Christians, we would say he's fully human and fully divine. And this leader is going to deserve the people's respect and obedience. As Moses says in verse 15, it's to him you shall listen. So when Jesus comes and says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. That's how Moses is predicting what will happen. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He is the one with authority. Now, certainly we'll see a lot of other prophets in the Old Testament and a lot of other successors to Moses. Immediately after Moses is Joshua. Uh, you'll read about him in, in two weeks in the book called Joshua. Um, not real creative, but helpful. And, and he's, this, he's a successor who, who in some ways fulfills what Moses did. You'll read about other prophets uh, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel who will be faithful to what God has them do in their generation. But no one will fully fulfill what Moses predicts here until Jesus. That's why in Acts 3 and Acts 7, uh, Peter and uh, Stephen pull back to this verse in Deuteronomy and say, this person, this prophet we've been waiting for is Jesus, who's been crucified for our sins and raised to new life. And this prophet not only should be listened to, but Jesus says, uh -uh. but Moses says, this is the prophet who will solve the problem that I could never solve. Look at verse 16. Just as you desired of the Lord, your God, at Horeb on the day of assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. What um, Moses is referring to, Tim talked about a few weeks ago from the book of Exodus. And it gets at this question of why prophets are needed at all. Why doesn't God just thunder from heaven what he wants us to do? Or why doesn't he just leave us fortune cookies or something that makes it clear to us? Why does God speak through people? Why did God speak through Moses? Why does God speak through Jesus? Why doesn't he just thunder from a mountaintop? And the answer is he did. Right? That, that's, that's what's in Exodus 20. That's what happens at Mount Horeb. God dwells with the people and he says, I am holy and I will be your God and you will be my people. And what does Israel do? They back away. And they say, this is too much for us. God's holiness is too much for us. And you can see in verse 17 what they say. Um, or in verse 16, they say, let us not hear the voice of God again or we're going to die. In verse 17, the Lord says to them, they are right in what they've spoken. Right? If we hear God's voice directly apart from Christ, it is hopeless and it is holy and we can't stand up under it. And so what's the solution that Moses says will come? 
He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. What Moses uh, says here in Deuteronomy, what we see fulfilled in Christ, is that there would need to be a prophet who could bridge this divide between the holy God and a sinful people just like us, who could tell us not just what God required of us, but could enable a pathway from us to him. We'll talk more about that a little bit later in the sermon. But Jesus is the perfect prophet who can go between the holy God and the sinful people. Moses does it in part, but only in part. He's the fulfillment of the fears that people had at Horeb. We can't hear from God. We need someone to go between us, and Jesus has. He's the one sent from God and yet fully human. He is the one who is unlike us and yet fully one of us. And he is the one who speaks the words given to him by his Father. As he says in John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus uniquely is the one on whom all our lives will be judged. I look at verse 19 as Moses talks about this. Whoever will not listen to my words, he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. Or as it says in the NIV, whoever does not listen to him will have to give an account. Jesus is a prophet greater than Moses, not because there's something wrong with Moses or he was deficient, though he was, but because there was a limit to how much a human can diagnose about our problem. Moses can give the law. He can tell us what's wrong with our soul, but he can't provide a solution for it. As John says in John chapter 1, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, so why do you care? Why do you care that Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses? Well, of course, it's about the hope that we have of salvation in him, but it's also about what it means that Jesus acts as a prophet, as the prophet in your life. If Jesus is the greater prophet, he's the one who reveals God perfectly to you, that has a couple consequences. One, it means you don't have to turn to other prophets. You don't have to turn to other people who can interpret for you what God is like, whether that's prophets of other religions or people who presume to say, um, I'm the only one who can truly show you what God is like. Scripture is clear, and Jesus is clear about what God is like. And secondly, it frees you from needing to be a prophet for others. It releases you from the impossible pressure, the impossible pressure that Moses felt and that we sometimes feel, of trying to bring God to other people. As we live under Jesus, and as we see him as the one who reveals God to people, we can echo him, We could act as under-prophets, if I can make up that word. But we can never try to be the prophet ourselves. We could act as an under-prophet when we evangelize, when we tell people about Christ, but we don't have to try to reveal God to them. We point to how Jesus has revealed God to them. We can exhort people to lives of godliness, but not based on our own authority or ridicule or shame, but based on what Jesus requires of them as the one who is truly sent from God. We can encourage other people but not based on our affection or approval, but based on the fact that Jesus has revealed God to them. So Moses is a great prophet, right? As we read the Old Testament, he reveals in such a helpful way what God is like, but he's dwarfed by Jesus' role as a greater prophet, the one who not only reveals what God is like, but brings us to him. Similarly, Moses is a great national leader for Israel. Even though he's never called king, Um, He's certainly the most important early figure in Israel's national history. He's the one who's the military leader to lead him out of slavery. 
He's the one who establishes their civic life, what we might think of as their constitution. He's the one who brings them on the precipice to a new land. In some ways, he's sort of the George Washington of Israel. And because of this role of national leader, there's a, a temptation, um, not temptation, there's a hope that we see in how Christ is even, an even greater king than Moses. We're going to look at Moses' success and challenges of how he points us to the one who not only brings together a people, but brings together people from every tongue, tongue and tribe and nation to build his kingdom, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater Moses as a national leader. I flip over to Numbers 11. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this. So Jesus is the greater prophet. Jesus is the greater king. And then lastly, we'll talk about Jesus, the greater priest. Numbers 11. I, I really don't want this at all to come across as me ripping on Moses. I have, a, I have a tremendous amount of esteem and respect for his faith and his character and what he accomplishes in Scripture. When we talk about Jesus being the greater Moses, we're not saying there's something wrong with him so much as we're saying how great Jesus is. Moses is the nation builder of Israel, and he has an important role, but he's limited, just like we'd be limited. Now, he has the sort of character you'd want in a national leader. In fact, in Numbers 12, 13, it says he was the humblest man on the earth. Man, what a great quality for someone to lead your country. Someone who's marked by humility, not by thinking highly of themselves. And he's, he's driven by tremendous integrity and personal conviction. Now, Moses makes some mistakes, and we read about those, and he experiences the consequences of them. But he even stands up to his siblings, to Miriam and Aaron in, Acts, in Numbers 12, when they uh, rebel against him. And he brings the consequences of God even when it harms him or his family personally. Moses is the sort of person that you'd want as a national leader, but it doesn't mean that he's immune from grumbling. After the Exodus, Israel travels through the desert on their way to the promised land for 40 years because of their lack of faith and their lack of integrity. And because it's a desert, they need food and water to be provided for them to live. So God provides miraculously for them through um, water from a rock and manna from the sky. Manna, which literally means what is it, was their daily sustenance. It provided all the nutrients they needed in a miraculous way. In fact, if you have kids in children's ministry today, rather than talking about prophet, priest, and king, they're just talking about manna. So if you have kids up there and you ask them what they learn later, you can talk about, uh, talk about the manna part of this. Um, but the people tired of the miraculous provision of God. And one of the more fascinating and yet human parts of Scripture, the people see God provide daily a miracle, and they get bored of it. I look at Numbers 11, verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing because we were slaves. No, it doesn't say that, but that's my frustration. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. What a human problem of grumbling, right? Even when there is a miraculous provision from God to complain about it. How, how, how much does that reflect our hearts sometimes? That this creates a hard situation for any leader when people grumble, when people complain, especially when they complain about things that we're proud of. Um, I imagine some of you guys who are parents experience this with your kids, right? Where you provide for your kids and they grumble and complain about it. Or maybe uh, you're a boss and you do your best to try to create a, a healthy workplace and provide jobs for people and they complain about what's lacking. 
Or maybe you are a small group leader here or a life group leader or a Sunday school teacher and you do your best to prepare a lesson for the people in your group and they complain about how it's not as interesting as they'd like. How do you respond when people grumble under your charge? How do you respond to people's complaints? Well, Moses exhibits in, this, in his response something admirable, which is that he turns to God in prayer, but also a very normal response and a flawed response, which is to be infected by the grumbling of others, to let their complaints become our burdens, to let their grumbles become our pains. I'm going to read his response from Numbers 11 in the New Living Translation because I think it does a really good job capturing the emotion of, of Moses. Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I deserve, do to deserve the burden of these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land that you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Man. Well, I can certainly empathize with Moses' frustrations, do you hear why Moses, what Moses' problem is? You know, he thinks his problem is that he can't meet the expectations of the people. Right? But his real problem is that he's taken on the expectations of the people. He's made their expectations of God their expectations of him. And so rather than having faith before God, he's become resentful towards God, even to the point of desiring death, because he can't please the people that he's leading. How am I supposed to get them to the land? Moses... There's a, there's a pillar of fire and a cloud that will lead them. You don't have to lead them there. How am I supposed to get meat for them all? Who said you have to get meat for them all, Moses? This is not your problem. So not surprisingly, when Moses takes on a burden that was meant for God, it's a burden too big for him. Same thing can be true for us, right? And so God agrees with him that this burden is too great for him, and he brings him assistance. He's, um, God tells Moses, I'm going to bring from among you 70 people that can share in the leadership load with you. And if that number 70 sounds familiar from the New Testament, we'll we'll get back to that in a second. Numbers 11, 16. The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people so that you may not bear it yourself alone. What a hope it is to share in leadership with others. And as so often happens in Scripture, when there's grumbling from an aggrieved group, part of the solution is sharing the load. This happens in Acts 6, when the people complain to the uh, apostles that certain people are being neglected. And the apostles say, well, let's share the load. Let's appoint some deacons who can share in this with you. (coughs) Or when Elijah complains to God and says, I'm the only one who hasn't bowed a knee. And he says, no, no, there's 7,000 more to share this burden with you. (coughs) Sorry. To Moses' credit, he delights in sharing responsibility. He's a sort of humble leader we'd want to see who doesn't insist on being the only one in charge, but shares the load with others. (coughs) Sorry, could you toss me that water bottle right there? Thanks. Thanks. Um... So 
the Spirit comes on them, and in verse 27, a young man comes and tells Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. If those sound like Marvel characters to you too, that's sort of where I see them. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Do you hear that hope for the New Testament? This hope that one day there would be not just one prophet, not just one national leader, but that God's spirit would come on to all his people, that they would be able to speak the truth of God to the nations. That's Moses' hope, but he's not able to fulfill it. And Jesus is the greater Moses as the leader of God's people, because not only does he lead them out of slavery, like Moses does, not physical slavery, but spiritual slavery, (coughs) not only does he give them a law, though Jesus' law is more simple in many ways than Moses's, but he gives them hope of life everlasting. He creates a new people based not on their national identity, but their identity in him. When Moses leads God's people, he's infected by the sin. He's infected by their grumbling. But when Jesus leads God's people, he infects us with the hope that comes from knowing him. Moses is aided by these 70 leaders who are given the spirit in order to ease his load, but Christ distributes his spirit first on 70, that's, that's in the Gospels, that they would go proclaim the gospel, and then on all who would believe in him, according to Acts, that even us today who believe in him have his spirit in us. Jesus does this out of an invitation for us to participate. Not because he's frustrated or he can't accomplish it himself, but that every person, like Moses Moses said, would experience the Spirit of God. So why do you care that uh, Jesus is a better national leader than Moses? Obviously, he's not the national leader of our country. We're not the promised people of God. Um, Why does it matter that Christ is a better leader of the kingdom than Moses was? Because it points to our understanding of what it means to look for a great king, what it means to look like to follow Jesus, that he establishes a people from every tongue and tribe and nation who don't lord over one another, their authority, but serve one another, even as Christ has served us. All right. The last of these three roles, these three offices that Moses plays and that Christ plays even better is the role of priest. Jesus is the greater priest than Moses. Now, normally we don't think of Moses as a priest. We kind of think of that as his brother Aaron's role. Like if you've read Leviticus, you read a lot about Aaron and his family. So what do we mean that Moses is a priest? Well, if you think of a prophet as the one who brings God to people, and you think of the priest as the one who brings the people to God, and that's Moses' role repeatedly, is that he intervenes on behalf of the people to God. And he does so in some of the oddest passages in Exodus and Leviticus. When God's anger burns against the people and Moses stands in the gap between God and the people and intercedes for them and asks God to spare them. There's one example described in Psalm 106. (coughs) This is, I think, on your sermon outline. Therefore, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn his wrath away from destroying them. These odd events that we read about in Scripture where God is about to destroy the people and Moses comes in and says, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. There are some odd passages. And for me, as I read them, I go, this seems weird. Like, it seems like a preschooler who has to calm down their parents. Like, should God really need Moses to talk him off the ledge? 
Shouldn't a holy God be the one who sort of is containing us? So why are these passages in the Bible? And maybe more importantly, why is Moses able to stand in the breach and turn away God's wrath? Well, in each instance, the people had sinned against God. They deserved to be punished. And in each instance, it is a priest who comes before God, Moses, who points out that even though they're guilty, he asks God to spare them anyway. This is a pointer at what will happen in Jesus, that one day there'll be someone who will stand before God and say, even though these people behind me deserve the consequences of their actions, I'll take it on myself instead of on them. Moses is a great priest because he asks for God to be gracious, but Jesus is a greater priest because not only does he ask for God to be gracious, he takes the consequences on himself. Jesus is the one, uh, even more than Moses, who is willing to endure the punishment that we deserved on the cross. And he comes not just once before God, but because he comes back to life, stands, before, uh, stands and sits at the right hand of God forever. Jesus is your priest. He's the one who brings you before the Father. He's the one who enables you to, as Hebrews says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Christ is the greater prophet than Moses. He's the greater national leader, and he's the greater priest. He's the one uh, that accomplishes everything that we see in Moses' life, but to a greater degree and for a greater glory of God. I hope that as you read through the Old Testament, um, and you read about prophets, and you read about priests, and you read about kings, you delight in the good ones, and you're warned by the bad ones, but by all of them, you look at what Jesus is able to accomplish on your behalf and for God's glory. Hebrews 3 puts it this way. Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. A couple questions for you to reflect on and pray about this week. Of the three offices that Jesus fulfills, that of prophet, priest, and king, which of the three do I need to experience him as the most right now? Which do I need Jesus to be for me right now? Do I need to hear him as a prophet? Do I need to trust him as my priest? Do I need to follow him as my king? Which of these do I need to see Jesus as more clearly? And how can, I, how can this expand my view of Christ? Well, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are the perfect prophet. You always tell us the truth about God and that we can trust you that everything you reveal about him is accurate. Thank you that you're the perfect priest, that you always bring us faithfully to your Father. Thank you that you are the good and capable leader of your people in the church. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.